Hey, y'all, what's good? Here we are with another day and another episode of the Pilgrimage Podcast. I'm your host, Zaru Fitzum, and I'm really excited for this guest we have on our show today. We got Tiana Haas in the building, uh, or on Zoom for that matter. I started following Tiana a little while back on Twitter and really glad that I did because her presence on social media is something that I've seen as multi-layered, quick-witted, gifted at puns, really good with words. And from what I've witnessed, I can also tell she has a real knack for encouraging people. Countless times on my Twitter timeline, I've seen Tiana offering words of solace, encouragement, and celebration to those in need of prayer. People have exciting news. And she engages all sorts of people from different places with acceptance and grace. And all of this is something I felt from an online presence. So I can also personally attest to this trait of Tiana because I've been a recipient of her kind words. And she's a writer, her an editor, so her editorial help. I was working on this devotional and she helped me reduce my word count and made the content much more accessible and more beautiful. So it meant a lot to me. Uh, as I said, she's an editor, she's a poet, she's a writer and an illustrator. Y'all can check out and support some of her stuff on Instagram and I think tianahaz.com. And so, yeah, super excited uh, and to get to hang out with Tiana on this uh, podcast today. So what's up, Tiana? Thank you so much for having me on and the kind words. Of course, of course, without a doubt. So thanks again for coming on. And as I mentioned, uh, you're writer, poet, editor. So I wanted to pick your brains in this episode about the power and beauty of words, specifically in poetry, but as well, uh, you can always talk about how in literature and in life, uh, I'm wanting to hopefully encourage some friends who feel the same way about words as we do. So here's my first question for you. What, what was it that brought you into the world of poetry on your pilgrimage? Yes. So it's very interesting. I've always been a literature enthusiast, I would say. Um, but honestly, I struggled a long time with appreciating poetry. Mm. Um, so I gravitated toward novels in particular, um, but I wasn't quite convinced that poetry could ever be a really legitimate love of mine. Mm. Um, so I think a lot of the time it felt elusive and um, kind of over the top uh, compared with just kind of the raw uh, story that, that something may have. Um, so yes, I, didn't always understand um, complicated poetry as well and kind of had a hard time grasping at meaning um, because oftentimes poets are trying to boil down something and um, get a lot of meaning into a short space. Right. Um, and even, even when I would wrestle with uh, poetry and feel triumphant finally <laughs> after uh, getting kind of to the core of it, um, I wouldn't necessarily want to return to those things for, for solace, um, like most people do with poetry. Um, I remember, you know, verbally processing, uh, poems in classes and just kind of being very frustrated, 
Um, and uh, remember one time there was a local poet, uh, Rebecca Reynolds, that uh, we were um, trying to pick apart uh, this, this poem and do a, a close reading of it. And I finally realized that it was this, this picture of um, uh, hell. And I was half frustrated and then half relieved mm. uh, that it kind of finally dawned on me. Um, but, you know, I can't completely pinpoint the shift um, from a place of, of frustration and kind of just dealing with this form of, of literature to uh, really appreciating it. Uh, but I do remember uh, in high school, my pastor read uh, a poem by William Cooper um, called Light Shining Out of Darkness. Mm. And uh, the fifth stanza became um, kind of a refrain for me for many years. And um, it says, his purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Mm. And really, I think the theological concept there um, of divine meaning uh, being available and um, present in suffering and just the idea of, of persistent good um, blooming from, from pain um, was something that I really latched onto. And um, I think a lot of poetry is, is very um, personal and contextual. Um, but I think I finally found uh, that it was this cathartic thing that uh, I could really hold onto. Um, and over the years, I've developed more of a need for poetry than a want for it, I think. Mm. Um, and it's become, um, yeah, something that I couldn't quite imagine my life without at this point. Yeah. Can, can you talk about that need a little bit? Like how in, how, in what way has it kind of become a need more than a want? Sure. I think, um, I think that partially um, just the fact that I do seek out poetry still, but there are particular authors that I go to and return to um, as a form of um, feeling connection and feeling um, like I can be pulled out of isolation sometimes. Right. I think um, I think everyone has a particular form of poetry that they gravitate toward and that they um, uh, really just grow to um, to kind of carry along with them. And um, for me, I have, um, you know, sometimes very random uh, collections of poetry that I return to, like the Poetic Edda and, and things like that, um, that are familiar to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that, yeah, it's, um, not necessarily something that I um, have decided that like, yes, poetry is going to be a part of my life. It's more so just it's there and it's not going mm. away. Right, right, right. Yeah. So that's kind of like that neat piece. It's just blatant presence lingering yes. throughout <laughs> times of your life. No, that that makes uh, a lot of sense. I resonated with when you were talking about like how kind of growing up 
trying to decipher the meaning of poetry. It's still very frustrating for me. It is not my forte. And anytime I feel like I actually do understand some of the meaning, like the layers are even unraveled that much more, which is part of its beauty, just like uh, that it does have conciseness. It has a cohesion to a story sometimes, but the multi-layeredness and the openness to interpretation it has on the side of the reader, like you said, it is this beautiful thing, but it's also uh, frustrating. I, I returned back to Morrison's Caged Bird uh, a couple of days ago, just as I was proof preparing and just like thinking about this conversation and it's so clear it's like such a clear poem you can't miss what she's saying and then you kind of do I, I wasn't able to nitpick all of it but then you do like some research and see how a lot of tony uh her um no it was my angelou my bad it was my angelou right who wrote that one <laughs> and how, how much her writing was about uh uh like uh trauma like, you know what I mean? And all these different things. And so, no, it's it's interesting to see how also that piece of returning back to it in need. Uh, one of my favorite writers of all time is James Baldwin. And he writes short story writer, essayist, novelist, all of these things and very poetic in his writing as well. And I find myself returning to his words so often because of the nature of the genre that is poetry. So I, I resonate with that need piece. So like that's that's really helpful. Thanks for kind of sharing how that went on in your life. And so kind of picking up on that, what do you think uh, still in light of that need and that lingering, is there a particular emotion you feel or something that draws you to reading and writing uh, poetry nowadays? Because kind of like we talked about, there is a lot of rigorous mental and hard work in trying to comprehend and produce poetry. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that uh, any form of reading is um, a type of listening and, and a practice of listening. Um, yeah. And it's a way to pay particular attention to someone else's thoughts and experiences. Um, and so I think that um, obviously it is uh, definitely a an attraction to poetry to um, want to be strengthened through that particular kind of effort. Um, but I think poetry um, is more precisely a practice of sharing and listening to emotion and um, someone else's imagination, their concentrated expressions, um, and really uh, stepping into their shoes um, and feeling what they're feeling, uh, in my opinion. Right, right. So, um, yeah, and I think that I think that there's definitely um, a connection also to, um, seeing things in particular and, uh, paying attention to, um, minute details that you might not normally, um, so Wordsworth said, um, and this was drilled into me in so many humanities courses yeah. that, uh, poetry is the spontaneous overflow of powerful feelings, mm. um, but I don't think that it's always spontaneous. 
Sorry, Wordsworth. <laughs> that's it. That's Arguing it. with him. <laughs> but I think it is an intentional habit. I think mm. it's um, something that is difficult, but it's it's a a good exercise in creativity and empathy. Right. Um, so I think oftentimes I'm drawn to it because it's life-giving, um, because it's uh, something that um, helps me to be in community with other people. Um, and I think so many times there's a uh, temptation to narrow our vision, um, mm. to look inward um, and not outward um, and kind of block our, block our vision. And, right. um, but I think that um, actively looking into beauty and um, seeing that it's within arm's reach um, and remembering it and explaining it to other people who are also weary and in need of connection um, is more of a chance to see fully. Um, So I oftentimes think about uh, just the fact that um, these details are made available by God and um, he introduces all of these rhythms of goodness and uh, breathtaking detail um, into our surroundings, into our mm. interactions with people. Um, so he, he's the one that's making those things available to us. Um, and it's just a chance at, or it's just a question of seeing that more um, acutely. Right. Oh man, I read James Cone's The Cross and the Lynching Tree about nine months ago, and he talks about Langston Hughes in one of his chapters. And Hughes has a poem called Goodbye Christ, and it's just this, it's like gut-wrenching, but it, it's kind of like him talking about almost like this accepting of communism because of the lack of usefulness Jesus had for the liberation of black people Mm -hmm. anymore. And hearing that poem, I I was listening to the cross and lynching tree on audible and hearing the poem read by the reader and uh, cone kind of setting up the story behind Hughes's reason for it. It actually did create a lot of empathy in me, even though he's saying goodbye Christ and it makes me sad. You're trying to like, right. Decipher these layers of what someone is what's what's true right and if you come to it with like this narrow mind set or it's just internal if coming to poetry is just about how it relates to you it might not create space for that empathy you know and so mm-hmm. yeah it, it it is it is intriguing as to how god does that with all of those details kind of like regardless of what the content kind of looks like right how the authors portray a picture of something so yeah it it creates empathy so that's kind of what draws you to that's that's dope so yeah a lot of these questions i have for you are interconnected because i kind of want to like stick to what poetry does as people read it how you kind of try to interpret it, but how has it shaped who you are today? Again, you've kind of like shared uh, peripherally uh, what, what that's might have looked like, but how has it shaped who you are today 
And what, what, what do you think it can teach people who aren't poets or who aren't used to like kind of working with that genre? Sure. Um, yes. I mean, there are many small ways that it shaped me um, just from just in light of who I am, I tend to want to like collect things. Um, so how I approach learning a lot of the time, I, um, I want to accrue information. And uh, in the same way, I think uh, poetry has made me uh, want to collect words that I think are beautiful mm. um, and evocative. And so uh, it's built these small practices like keeping different lists of words on my phone, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, on a larger scale, I think that um, poetry has definitely um, helped me to be more unashamed of, of marveling at things, mm. uh, of very ordinary things. Um, and I think that there are so many things in our daily lives that are very mundane and routine um and poetry gives you a chance to say oh that's actually a a wonderful uh thing that i can um celebrate every time that it happens um and you know it's very predictable to look at things in nature and just be in awe of them or starry-eyed um but i think that uh poetry in some ways frees you to um to just just be you know like have your jaw open right right <laughs> at the fact that the sunrise and the sunset have once again crammed the sky with color and right. it's like <laughs> right very typical but um it's uh something that is is uh an enjoyable experience. You're, you're allowed to do that. Um, mm -hmm. but I think it's also, um, bound me closer to, um, the Lord and to others. Um, because, you know, I used to think that, uh, people who spent so much time in the Psalms, um, were, just uh leaving the rest of the bible and <laughs> right right <laughs> letting it collect dust and i didn't really understand why yeah. um but now i i understand a little bit better that it is a lifeline for people right. um and it gives them permission to be honest with god um when oftentimes we uh have a hard time understanding um how to have dialogue yeah. with God. Um, so, and I don't, I don't actually rely on the Psalms in the same way that, that most people do. Um, but I, I tend to find Isaiah very poetic and mm. um, yeah, I think, I think it's swimming with poetry. It's yeah. one of my favorites. <laughs> right. I mean, in chapter 26, where he, describes the resurrection and he says that the dead that are dwelling in the dust are going to rise and they'll have celestial dew and it's just mm. it's just amazing poetic, um, for sure. yes <laughs> yes <laughs> exactly um but yes i think um 
yeah, it, it is definitely um, a form of connection and, and a way to be more tight knit um, with others. Is it, is it Chesterton, if that's how you pronounce his last name, who kind of says that same thing uh, that you did about the sky being crammed and the fact that God can say, do it again? Is that, is that, are you familiar oh, with that? I know what you're talking about. Um, they did this God's grandeur, that one? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I think that's the one. It, it's a, it's a very compelling thing. The fact that poetry can, open you just to beauty every day in the mundane but also the darkness i was just talking to my pastor what 20 30 minutes ago and we were just kind of talking about some dark things that has happened in our lives death has kind of uh very um just yeah strongly entered into both of our families and friends' lives especially mm -hmm. at this season of life COVID, yes, and just other sicknesses and unfortunate occurrences. And he told me about a conversation two men named Tim Keller and a guy named John Tyson had. And they both live in New York City. And Tim Keller had told John, there is so much brokenness that fills this world. And it's so overwhelming and it will crush you unless you often expose yourself to beauty. Mm. And kind of what you shared there reminded me of that quote my pastor was sharing with me because of how much of an outlet poetry is to that um, marveling at beauty. Obviously, po poetry is not just one form, right? So it's not only marveling at beauty, but there's a lot of it to be had there. So that connection piece with God and others is really important, I feel like. And so how, how do you feel like people who might not have as much familiarity with poetry uh, and might not see it as useful? They're like closed off to its usefulness and like, <laughs> like as practical for real life. How yeah. can they open themselves to receiving its purpose and importance for life? Yeah, I think one of the first things is um, just to understand that um, many people have a specific version of poetry in mind when they think of poetry. Um, and I think when people know how diverse um, their options are in experiencing poetry, mm -hmm. um, it's much more welcoming. Um, so I think it's a, really a matter of finding uh, the format and the writers and the subjects that resonate and right. appeal to a person. Um, and I think poetry is really, it's hidden in plain sight all around us. Um, you know, it's in songwriting, that's poetry. Right. Right. It's, I mean, spoken word, more poetry. And at our inaugurations, we feature poetry yes. with Amanda Gorman. Um, 
Did you get yeah. Call Us What We Carry? Have you copped that? I haven't. No. I need to. Yeah, yeah. Me too. I need to. Um, but yeah, it's it's affecting people already, even if they don't realize it. Um, and you know, I think um, I think it's important to remember there there are many things that are very valuable to us, but don't necessarily have to be um, useful in like a practical sense or like a productivity kind of sense. Um, but there are things that just help us to appreciate life better. Um, and, you know, I think the fact that by divine inspiration, so much poetry is in God's word and, um, for believers that may be turned off to, to poetry, I think that's a huge motivation to be like, oh, yes, God thinks this is a good thing. Um, so right. <laughs> not to be like, no, that's not to good. Shame anyone into it. <laughs> that doesn't sound like you have to like it because God likes it. Mm. But, um, but I think it's uh, obviously a, 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 an opening. Like you can, you can appreciate poetry in scripture um, as a starting point, um, right. if you need to. And then, um, there are so many different other starting points and poetry that, um, you know, is narrative and style, um, and doesn't necessarily, um, hold to a, a, a traditional, um, meter or structure. So yeah, there are many, many options out there. I love that. Yeah. Like, it's so diverse. It's so diverse. I, I really, that, that speaks to me, like seeing how scripture for Christians, how populated it is just by poetic language, even if it isn't iambic, right? <laughs> all of, all of these different <laughs> right. like, things we learn in our English classes. And it, it's crazy to me how, how myopic, how narrow, my understanding of poetry was, and I'm not like blaming English teachers for that. I think they tried to help expose me to its different, uh, I don't know, debuts in literature, right? But Mm -hmm. yeah, Isaiah is an interesting one because I always find myself like fascinated by the writing, what God is doing in it. My my dad and I were talking about those sections about like the king of Tyre, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, like, the language the author is using Isaiah is writing about and um, it it is very poetic and there is kind of a meter to that one, but it's just really funny how gross it can be or how life giving Mm -hmm. it can be or all of those things, but it's occurrence and population in scripture could kind of like encourage, not shame or like you said, but encourage Mm -hmm. Christians to go out and see why it's so important. I saw a tweet a couple weeks ago talking about uh, like I would be this person said I would I'm convinced a lot of people's hermeneutics their look and interpretation of scripture really suffers because of how unfamiliar with poetry they are like Mm. if they would try to give it a fair shake they might come to love it and it might help them see through the spirit's work through the spirit's power inspiration do that work in them to see that it's in there and it reminds me what you talked about kind of about poetry doesn't always have to be 
right? Spontaneous, because like when you familiarize yourself and you um, engross yourself in a particular practice, it kind of just makes the things you do seem spontaneous, right? But that's mm-hmm. not actually what's happening. You're, you're really entrenching, you're, you're really devoting yourself to this new perspective that could actually help the quality of your life, even if it doesn't help you build an arc <laughs> with mm-hmm. a hammer or, or something like that. So no, I, I love that. Um, so let's, let's talk about your writing, particularly, we kind of talked about how we receive poetry and how mm-hmm. others can too. But my question for you on this is what do you as Tiana personally like aim to accomplish when you're like uh finally ready to release your writing into the world it was loam that you uh waited for two years on right yes yes it was um yeah (laughs) so go ahead talk to us about that oh man yes so it's a funny story with loam in particular and um it's not it's not always intentional when we put something out there, I think. Um, so I held back that poem for, for two years and I, I really didn't seek any publication for it until right before it was published. <laughs> um, and it wasn't really a conscious choice to wait, um, but more so I think an unwillingness to have faith that mm. Um, God has gifted us with experiences um, to share with others um, that these things are um, worthwhile to, to share with people. And, um, you know, I think often, um, and this is true of any kind of creator that we uh, have confidence issues at different times and um, don't really trust that our words or our perspectives um, uh, should really impact people. Yeah. Um, and so oftentimes we, we hold those back and it's more so a shield of self-deprecation when yeah. at the heart of it, the root of it, it's actually more so individualism kind of sneaking out and um I think writing and um, and reading, they both put us in community with other people. Yes. Um, they put us in community with thinkers and artists and uh, learners. And, and I think it's important to be faithful uh, in offering even what we consider meager. Yeah. <laughs> um, to friends and neighbors and, and whoever, um, whoever's in our circle, um, because we are parts of a whole. Um, and it's easy to forget, um, what, uh, Frederick Buechner said about, uh, vocation. He said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, releasing any kind of creation is exactly that it, um, I think a lot of people are probably trying to <laughs> build brands, but, but not everyone <laughs> right, right, right. is doing that. And uh, I think that uh, we have to realize a lot of the time that um, our habits and our, our skills and our, our gifts are uh, also acts of service. Yes. And um, 
Yeah. And, you know, personally for me, when I, um, what I'm hoping to accomplish when I, when I share uh, poetry with people usually depends on the poem. Um, so sometimes I want to bring levity into the world. Um, and then other times I'm hoping that, um, that, that reading whatever it is gives someone a chance to, to slow down and, um, to remember to hope again, or Mm. to remember that, um, goodness is still available and goodness will still be available. Um, and yes, I think, um, oftentimes also do it because, um, I mean, like I said, it, it is a, a communal thing, but, um, I think that both reading and writing help us to, um, realize that we're not alone and that, um, we have these commonalities as humans and, um, they, they do bind us together. Yeah. Yeah. Back to James Baldwin. (laughs) He, (laughs) He has this, um, and you're talking about it in the context of, um, goodness, which is really important because darkness and suffering colludes a lot of us and we should never forget it because like it's our experience but how goodness can actually like break through into it is a beautiful part of hopefulness Mm -hmm. to combat a despair that takes you into an unhealthy hopelessness right james baldwin he has this quote talking about history he says you think your sufferings in the world are unprecedented but then you read, (laughs) but then you read. And so like kind of how you're brought into community with the whole world, not just in our present time, but past, present, and even the future will be, future generations will be able to look back at us. I feel a little old talking about generations. I'm 22 years old, but like people that come after us a a long time in the future, there aren't really many youngins compared to me, right? But, um, But then you read. And you see how suffering is a common experience. And so like what's beautiful is about in in your writing, goodness can be a common experience in people's life, not to um, mitigate or try to pretend none of the hardships are there, but like you're bringing people together in a really important way that really isn't meager. It, it, it really does change lives. But yeah, the self-sabotaging practices or yeah. something like that, I'll mm-hmm. kind of like put the story when on, on Twitter uh, for, for the listeners, right? On Twitter, uh, there was a time you had like made this funny post about the feminine urge to rejoice in God, my savior, like Mary, <laughs> right? And then I was yeah. like, that's hilarious. Also, <laughs> I wrote this devotional about that passage and you're like, can I read it? And I was like really touched that you would want to, but I was also like, well, shoot, <laughs> like, because it felt like there's nothing that I write or say that I never feel trash about afterwards. Mm. And I, I'm really wanting to like shave off those habits to really mm. kind of like believe that what makes you glad and the hungers of the world actually do meet together in my life. You know what I mean? That yeah. I actually do have something to say and that it is beautiful and it's so easy for us to experience that from others but like ourselves feeling Mm -hmm. that about ourselves like i resonate with that deeply (laughs) tiana so i i don't know like that that's that's really good yes 
Yeah. Um, I think there was, uh, oh, there was something that you were saying that, uh, I also wanted to touch on. If I remember it later, I'll, I'll go back to it. Okay. But, um, yeah. So we've, uh, you kind of, uh, told us, uh, that by using words like divine inspiration and God in the Bible, I'm sure many people have, uh, <laughs> uh, figured you're a Christian, right? So like, as a Christian pilgrimaging, pilgriming through this life, you might experience the power of words, the beauty of words differently than people from other religious or non-religious backgrounds. So like, how do you navigate your own excitement over like particular poem or work of literature that like really solidifies your faith in a truth about Jesus or heightens your gratitude for the beauty of creation that may not necessarily like resonate with someone that you love who doesn't believe the same way you do. I know that's a really long question, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question. It really is. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. I over Advent, I, I was at a used bookstore and there was this 75 cents book and I was like, Oh, it was by Isabella Allende. And I knew I wanted to read more of her that year. And so <laughs> I, I decided to pick it up and it was her memoir um, called Paula. And mm. it was completely an unintentional advent read. I wasn't, I wasn't saying this is my, this is the way that I'm going to experience expectation in this season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as I was reading it, um, I, I mean, Isabella Allende, she's not a practicing Christ Christian. She, mm -hmm. um, has many spiritual experiences, but, um, in this particular work, she, um, regularly regularly questions the existence of god and mm. uh, his benevolence um and uh she has you know just a lot of spiritual questions that she's going through because um she's writing this book as uh, her daughter is in a coma and um is she knows is very likely to die mm. and um and so it was such a, a unique work um, because it was a family history that she was penning mm. while she uh, was waiting. Um, and she, you know, she wrote this in the halls of the hospital and her motivation to do this was that she was supplying memories for her daughter um, in case she had amnesia when she woke up. Um, and so I experienced this intersection between revisiting history, mm -hmm. remembering, um, and urgently expecting a certain outcome, um, right. for someone that you love. Um, and I really just found that this was, you know, the culmination, this was like the sum of Advent remembering mm -hmm. and waiting. And, right. um, and I say all that just because, um, I think that truth and emotion are, common graces, um, that we all experience as humans. And, um, and, you know, I mean, we have as Christians, um, we claim to have Christ as the truth. Yeah. Um, but we, we also experience truths, um, just like anyone of any religion does. Um, and I think that it's, 
yeah, such a, a special way to uh, connect with our neighbors, um, to connect with people, no matter their background or their culture. Um, yeah. And, you know, as a Christian, I hope um, that these, these things in, in literature are planting seeds and, right. um, and are, you know, one of the many, many, many ways that, that um, the Holy Spirit can, can meet people and uh, come into their lives. Um, uh, because really there's, there, there's nothing too small. There's nothing too insignificant yes. um, to spark that, that encounter um, with the Lord. And um, yeah, I think it, it really, um, you know, as people are experiencing literature in these different ways, um, and resonating in different ways um, helps us get this grander picture of the Imago Dei yes. um, that's present in each of us. And, um, and it's, it's beautiful. You know, I, it may not be, um, I may not see what someone else sees, um, and I may disagree strongly with right. something, <laughs> and they may, may disagree with, with what I see. And um, but there are so many angles, um, that we're catching in that process. And, uh, and it is a, a process of, of learning to love one another better. This idea of common grace is a very special one because it really highlights what I aim to accomplish with this podcast, right? Uh, as a Christian, providing a Christian perspective, I really want to include however many people that are pilgrims in life with different backgrounds and different traditions that have agreement with me on some things and disagreement on many other things. And disagreement is an important thing for me, but it's also like sometimes like laughable because of how everyday new stories and new insights are brought into my life. I don't even know what I agree with <laughs> anymore, but there are some of those like objective things that's like, yeah, like murder is wrong. <laughs> I, if you disagree with me on that, I'm probably not going to have too much um like yeah like i'm talking about like someone actively just promoting murder as a fun thing not the death penalty conversation that's a different conversation that i will have right but <laughs> yeah this idea of common grace is so special because it it really includes people in the world whether they know jesus or not receiving the benefits of God's generous, creative, loving works, right? Mm -hmm. And it just applies to so many things. Like I, it, when I started getting into theology and just other different conversations about the intersection of faith and culture, I started seeing common grace come up a lot. And I was like, man, what is common grace not the answer to? <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's so important how much it is the answer to because it really 
um, intensifies the empathy we should have for others when we understand God's heart towards them, even if they don't particularly delight in him or in a truth that will get us excited. Because for dang sure, there are a lot of truths that get them excited that I know that we would love, right? How many times do Christians have conversations about how disappointed they are in the artistic flavor in Christian communities because of how um, hell-bent they feel to appease their particular like traditional communities. It's like, I wish I could kind of expand out of this bubble so I can talk about beauty in the way I want to, because I believe it's like what God has done. And it resonates so much with, uh, what was, what was her name? Isabel, what? Isabel Allende. Right. The fact that you could see the, the, the promise and the hardship of Advent in her story mm-hmm. is so important into like really collapsing the um, sacred secular divide on it on its head and it really includes and invites people into our lives that christians um <laughs> i have a friend her name i'm a shout out her name's holly alam she's like a big sister to me and we were facetiming last night and she said my ethic as a christian is just don't be an asshole like you know what i mean and i was like that's really that's really good it, it, it really, common grace helps us to love people well, mm-hmm. and it helps us to yeah. see that truth is not our own to lord over people, but to extent, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was a long rant, sorry, but it, 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 there is so much that that you said right there that just, you know, kind of yeah. the world hungers for it. The thing I was going to say earlier, and kind of connects to passion and like what we do and belief. And you were talking about earlier how people try to make a brand for what they do. They market it before they kind of like embody it. Right. Mm. Um, And sometimes like it's genuineness is not readily attested to by the people surrounding them. One One of the really exciting things about this podcast for me that kind of sparked up due to my cousin's influence in my life is he started his podcast shout out shaping the culture because he just wanted people to eavesdrop in on the conversations he was already having of course he had a name for it and he had like this mission statement all of that right but he really was just having the conversations with people he wanted to and if people wanted to listen in he would enjoy it he would invite them into it he he would start to make arts to kind of like uh promote it but the fact that he can, he's had like, what, five seasons. He's going to be on his fifth season pretty soon because he just loves conversing with people. And that's been like true of my life as well, whether it's mm-hmm. been with Christians or not, just conversing with people who have so many different experiences and all these things in life that it's like really dope. Like when, when you have these like self-deprecating maybe habits to come out and say, like, however it's received, I'm going to release it out there and see what happens with it. And so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's that's what vulnerability really is. And it's so it's so difficult for me to a lot of the time to to truly trust that good comes from vulnerability because Mm. it's so uncomfortable. It really is. Um, But yes, that's I mean, that's another compelling thing about, um, about Christ and how he embodied that for us. And 
it's just a, a regular revisitation in that um, yeah. and trusting that vulnerability is truly a good thing. Yes, man. Ugh. I could extend this conversation <laughs> so long, just like based off of that. There is this Anderson Cooper and uh, what's his name? What's the the late Stephen Colbert, right? They had a conversation mm-hmm. with each other and there, it was this really vulnerable moment. Anderson Cooper said, all right, Stephen, you had said that what punishments of us are not good gifts from God. And he was taking that, Colbert was taking that from Colbert, uh, from Tolkien. And um, Cooper's like crying when he says this, uh, when he asked the question, because he's like, do you, do you really believe that? How can you believe sufferings are gifts to mm. people? And Stephen, as he's like building up the answer, he says, in, in my Christian tradition, we believe it's because God does it too. It's because mm-hmm. God does it too. And that's what he's done in Christ, right? In this incarnation, he, he, um, what we understand to be like this omnipotent, transcendent God becomes weak mm-hmm. um, and like us. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of vulnerability in just our worship of Jesus, who we consider him to be, how, how he relates to us and sympathizes with us, how he invites folks that are marginalized in society and outcasts. And so, no, that's, that's, that's really good. Um, yeah, be, be vulnerable, y'all. <laughs> so I got one more question for you. I, um, what wisdom can you give to people that are highly interested in writing poetry and other works of literature, but can't seem to craft what they want to convey after spending a lot of time and energy trying? Um, you know, I would say that um, they should probably pull out the poem that they love best from the authors that they love best. Um, and then they should consider why they love them. Mm-hmm. They should look at what the author is writing about, um, look at the style, the meter, and kind of, you know, dissect, dissect why this resonates so much with them. Um, is it a tone? Um, and, and just start to ponder um, the characteristics that they admire and why they work well in that particular piece. Um, Mm. And then one of my favorite things to (laughs) recommend for any kind of art is to try to emulate that. Um, So, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, I think it's a hard practice to do, to um, sit with something and to, uh, take something that is probably aesthetic and, uh, analyze it. And, you know, it's, um, it's really taking that, um, that mental strenuous, um, element that we talked about before and applying that. And, um, you know, I think it's also important to not be afraid of messing it up or, or, uh, doing something poorly, especially in the creation stage. Um, because there's plenty of time to revise. Um, and I think that's truly the key a lot of the time. Um, and you know, I'm an editor by heart. It is (laughs) no secret. (laughs) I, um, 
definitely recommend taking the poem that you're working on and uh, reshaping it and tweaking it and slashing it and scribbling through it. Right. <laughs> um, because yes, uh, any sort of writing um, is something that that is a process. It takes analyzing and adjusting uh, to end up with something that in its final form um, is going to be polished. And, um, you know, I think it's also uplifting to um, experiment in poetry in relationship with other people. Mm. Um, so whether that's uh, with one other friend or you have a, a dedicated writing group, um, their perspectives, not only do they enhance by their suggestions and that sort of thing, but um, they also are helpful support supports in, in terms of uh, energizing you and yeah. pushing you forward. Um, so I think that, um, you know, having, having a, someone to, to walk alongside you as you are doing something yeah. um, is really significant. Yeah. Without a doubt. Do you have any methods you've used to kind of start groups in order to have those communities that can come alongside you with that? Because there might be some people who are a little nervous to ask someone to make that kind of commitment per se. What are creative uh, ways to kind of be like, hey, would you guys just join in on this with me? Let's try it out. Yeah. Um, I mean, personally, um, it is uh, a little daunting to do uh, on a large scale, but to do something um, just as a steady, steady practice. So for instance, if you know that you have one friend that um, is at least uh, creative in, in one regard, um, you can just ask them, can I read this to you? Mm. Um, and please tell me your thoughts. Um, uh, I, that's just like a very early step. Yeah. Um, but another thing to do, because social media is such a huge part of our lives and it's really unavoidable. Yes. Um, but it can be very useful. Um, I think to either uh, just have a practice of, of sharing something um, that, you've, that you've written uh, regularly um, with your online community is a, a great option as well. Um, and, uh, you know, that could be, you could just write something out and put it to your Instagram story, yeah. um, which is probably a, a nice low stakes thing to do because it'll be gone soon. Right. <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, I, this was, I think, 2019, perhaps. Um, I did a, a daily habit of writing a coffee poem every day, which felt very silly to do, but was a very fun, right? <laughs> a very fun practice. And um, yeah, it's, you know, I tagged it on to something that I did every morning anyway, drinking my coffee and then um, just kind of went from there. And I posted a little short snippet to Twitter every day. <laughs> So 365 days in 2019, you wrote. I'm not sure. I <laughs> like that's. I don't phenomenal. think I did actually 365. But, but like during in 2019 is when it happened. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's amazing. I don't think though. I was actually daily, but. <laughs> 
one of those failed resolutions. Hey, However, <laughs> you did it yeah. over a consistent amount of time, though. Maybe yes. <laughs> I didn't know you back yes. then. So. <laughs> yes, it happened. It was a thing. That's dope. I like that. So any of y'all who have those like uh, weird things you think people won't like experiment with it. And that that's the crazy thing. It's often the things that we think are like really weird. And then we just let them out. Like people are excited to see people come alive. And it, it, it blows my mind away how ridiculous I think something is that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. And then when you release it, people are like, you know, I'm proud of you. Like, you know what I mean? You, you should continue this because the inevitability of social media, as great as it is, can sometimes, whether it be because of algorithms or because of just the way people selectively decide to interact, which is also like a beautiful part of it. It just makes it really hard to think that people enjoy it because you're not always hearing feedback. But when you do it a lot, it it really is doing something. So yeah, I, yeah, I could have, I could extend this conversation for like really long. I, I am enjoying it a lot, but I really appreciate you coming on the pilgrimage podcast tiana it's been a joy and i've been pleased to have you so uh, thank you thank you so much it's a privilege to talk with you absolutely see (laughs) y'all as y'all can tell i'm not the best at (laughs) finishing uh, and concluding these conversations, but it it really was a blast and a privilege to journey with these past two guests and now this third one. It's really been enjoyable. So I hope you guys are enjoying the Pilgrimage podcast. Just want to let you all know if you have any questions about it, any remarks or ways to engage with it, you can always reach me at my handle at Zarufitsum on Twitter or Zarufitsum on Facebook, as well as Instagram, it's the same thing, but Zeru underscore fits them. And I hope we can continue to push on this narrative, this movement of understanding. We are all journeying, pilgriming through life. And let's make it together. Uh, And y'all are doing a better job of it than you think you are. So know that y'all are family and that I love y'all big time. Here's to painting a canvas of hope to the world and for the glory of God. Talk to y'all next time.